0: Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Um, And thank you all for coming. Um, As Catherine says, I'm James, and uh, I'm just going to talk a bit today about a project that I've been doing and will be doing for the next little while, um, all around democracy, uh, but I'm specifically going to talk about the data. So, first of all, who am I? I mean, some of you know me, but not all. I, I work here at the ODI, I'm a developer, um, and I've been an engineer for 16 or so years, uh, something like that. I'm a parent, I've been a parent for six years, um, and also I'm quite uh, an activist in, in terms of trying to solve uh, problems that are out there, um, and I'm an optimist as well, so I'm you know, trying to, I believe that we can make the, uh, the world a better place, uh, however naive that might be. Um, an important point to note uh, at the beginning of the talk is that while I work at the ODI, this is not about anything that I'm doing at the ODI. This is a completely separate project, and I'm sure Gavin would want me to state that with a nice big logo. <laughs> so whatever I say here is not the opinion of the ODI. Um, <clears throat> so we have a bit of a problem uh, in in this country in the in. Participation in democracy. So, turnout for general elections is on a steady trend downwards. I have a bit of a blip here at the end, but it's a lot lower than we'd like it to be. Um, people are disengaged from their democracy. They're, you know, it, people feel powerless, really, to control it. Um, and I'm going to not get political generally, apart from to put that up, um, which <laughs> is that when people feel powerless. I tend to, you know, the, the, the easy answers tend to win. It becomes easy to convince people of uh, of certain things if you've got a nice easy answer. Um, but I don't believe in that. I think we have really big problems, but we don't really have the political will to solve them. And the current institutions that we have don't really show any sign of, of dealing with those, the long-term problems that we need to deal with. Um, and I tend to get annoyed about that kind of thing, and couple of years now, a year and a half ago at at, uh, at Open Tech, somebody said something um, in one of their talks that in order to truly change the system sometimes you have to become the system. Uh, this was in the context of uh, of GDS who have taken all the amazing work that you know civic tech hackers and things have done outside government and taken it in and become part of the civil service and really engage with the system and change it from the inside. Um, and I think that's true. At some point we have to to stop sort of tinkering around the edges and uh, become part of it. And so I wrote, again, about a year and a half ago, I wrote a blog post in which I got a bit annoyed and ranty about you know the state of politics and things like that, and my own personal opinions on on what was, uh, what was going wrong. And the fact that I didn't feel that there was anybody who was representing the kind of future that I wanted to see, this sort of, you know, the long-term vision, the optimism, the, the taking us towards a better future, it all seemed to be about stepping backwards, about closing in, about worrying about us, not about us as a species necessarily. And um, like I said, I'm a software developer, so I tend to do uh, things in a certain way, and one of those things is I tend to throw uh, software tools at problems. And so I said, we, sh- we should get started by setting up a GitHub repository, we should make some new options, and we should start collaborating together on policy for a, a better future, just as a kind of, you know, let's let's do something and we'll stick it all uh, stick all up together and, and work together. Um, and the people familiar with, uh, it's, there's going to be a few sort of technical aspects to this. It's about software development and open source and things like that. So uh, I can answer questions about what these things particularly are at the end if there's stuff that doesn't make sense. Um, but it's it's a way of a way of working together using uh, sort of common open source tools, really. So. I then resolutely refused to do that because I already had too many projects. Uh, unfortunately, somebody else did, which then gave me the permission to go and actually start adding to it. So, yeah, that was a bit of a lack of self-control. Um, and this is this is the thing. So we started working on, about a year and a quarter ago, a bunch of us started working on this uh, thing that we called the Open Politics Manifesto. And it's a... Uh, um, experiment in collaborative manifesto building so if you were going to write a party manifesto how would you uh, from scratch how would you do it and we thought well let's take an open source approach we'll let anybody contribute we'll try and reach consensus that way and we'll see what happens i mean as i say i tend to uh you know use software ideas for things and then see what breaks see see how far i can push them um and that produces this and this is the open politics project website which is openpolitics.org.uk And this is up there now, you can go and look at it, and it's a website that lists all of these manifesto ideas, all of these policy ideas, and there's a big edit button in the corner, just like you're on something like Wikipedia. (laughs) And so anybody can actually go, create an account, edit the text to what they think it should say, and then we reach consensus and work together um, to, uh, to produce that. So if uh, it's at openpolitics.org.uk that's the, the sort of the open source manifesto and it's a way of trying to apply those open source ideas um, so let's talk about that project a little bit um, who can edit it the, the idea is that anybody can edit anybody can go along, create an account it's no more difficult really than creating an account on say Wikipedia something like that and you just type in the box and it, uh the, the changes go into a queue and then they get reviewed and so on. It's a little bit more difficult than that. We're using tools that aren't really designed for non-technical users. So we want to try and make that easier. Um, I have a project in progress at the moment to do that, but we'll uh, we'll see. But certainly we've had contributions from people who've not used the system before and who we haven't explained it all in great detail to. So that's good. So basically anyone. Who decides what to accept? So... Surely anybody could come along and type in anything they want. Somebody can go and say, let's bring back capital punishment. And they can. But it won't necessarily get accepted, because what we do is we allow the existing contributors to decide what goes in. And again, this is very similar to an open source model, where, you, uh, where you, anyone can make a submission into your bit of software, but you know, in order to keep the whole bit of software working in the same way, going in the same direction, producing the thing it's supposed to, there's sort of guidance from that existing pool of contributors. So that's what we do here as well. You need um, you need to basically gain the approval of the existing contributors in order to get your change in. Um, but once your change is in, obviously you are one of those contributors and you immediately get a vote. How do we vote? So the system—it's quite interesting. We we started out thinking well we'd have a sort of straight majority, you know, for and against on each thing, but. With a long tail of participation you, you have a, a few people who are very active and a lot of people who uh, right down the end who sort of contribute once and then go away and so that doesn't really work because how do you decide what's you know what's needed for that majority so we use a slightly different system um, which is a sort of kind of based on a blackballing approach uh, where um, you need a certain number of people in order to accept a change but you only need one person to block a change so if something's if somebody thinks something's incompatible or not, you know, written well enough, then they can block that change, and then we work through together. We discuss to try and uh, to try and work that through and remove the block, and then get it accepted. And the last thing is who counts the votes, and we have scripts that do this. We have robots. Uh, all things should be uh, run by robots if at all possible. <laughs> when when it when it involves simple matters like counting. Um, so we, we have, uh, this, is the, uh, this is the vote bot, and it actually lists all the open votes. When people make changes, they get added here. We count up how many votes for, against, and abstained, and so on. And so we can actually see that uh, everything that's going on. And this is all handled automatically, and it gets updated in uh, GitHub's um, build status flags, uh, which uh, are a way of GitHub knowing that something is okay to get merged in. Um, to summarise. so uh, We actually hook it up to that so when we go and look at the change on GitHub there's a nice big green button that says yes this has passed or no this hasn't passed. Um, So we don't merge things by accident. At the moment it does take an admin to merge things which is slightly uh, annoying. I'd rather have the robot do that as well but life is short. Um, So it's been going about 15 months and we ended up with about um, over and now 8,500 words of, of policy and more than 20 contributors, uh, count this morning was 23, which is not a massive amount, but it's certainly a you know, more diverse pool than the, uh, the sort of one or two that we started with. Um, and so it got to May this year, and I made another unwise decision, which is that I thought, oh, hold on, still nobody's representing what I want out of this, and uh, I have this sort of platform, so all right, let's go for it, I'm going to stand, um, and I decided to stand uh, for Parliament next year. Um I don't know what I'm doing at all, and that's okay, and actually that's good. I think that you know career politicians and so on are, are I don't know I don't really like it as a concept. I'd rather have people who knew other things um, with experts to help them, obviously. but I think this is okay. Um, so I had to stand. Does anybody know who that guy is? A few. Thank you.. <laughs> important. It's Francis Maud, uh, the uh, uh, cabinet, uh, Minister for the Cabinet Office. Or what's the exact title? I can't remember. Um, he's my local MP. Uh, and so, seeing as one thing I think is that people should stand where they live, I have to stand against him. There's a slightly awkward thing in that he was involved in some of the setting up of funding for the ODI, so technically <laughs> I kind of have a job because, yeah, anyway. Um, but it's not intentional. It's just where I live. I can't help it. Um, but it does mean it's a very safe conservative seat, so in a way that's kind of freeing as well. Um, and we set up a party, or well, we're setting up a party. That's a different story that I'll talk about another time, um, with a logo and things. And uh, so we're setting up this party as uh, called Something New, and the idea is it's, uh, it's forward-looking, it's optimistic, it's you know, trying to get those, those new ideas to take us forward out there. Uh, and that's what I'm spending a lot of my time doing outside work at the moment uh, all the time doing outside work really Uh, trying to get that message out there trying to get more people involved we've actually got two candidates now not just me Um, and we're trying to get more and more people involved so have a look at the website if you think that's interesting Um, I'm not really going to talk about policies you can have a look you can find that out for yourself and this isn't the place what I'm going to talk about is no it's not I'm going to talk about that (laughs) um What I'm going to talk about is data, but one of the things with something new is actually it's a different project to the Open Politics project. So it's adopted that open manifesto, but it doesn't mean that nobody else could adopt it as well. You could stand as an independent and use that manifesto, a bit like the sort of open source model of WordPress being a bit of software that you can use, but WordPress.com providing it as a service. So we're kind of a political platform as a service. You can run your own if you want to, or you can use ours, uh, except we don't charge you a monthly fee. And there's no SLA. Um, But what I am going to talk about is data. And so um, the various bits of data that I've looked at as I've been going through this process to work out what I'm doing uh, and to work out what I need to do. Um, And so when I started on the the journey, I thought, right, well, okay. I'd already announced this, obviously. I I decided to just sort of say I'm going to do it and then find everything out. I had to check uh, after a few I think it took me a couple of weeks, but I signed up the electoral commission to check I wasn't breaking the law. Um, turned out I wasn't, so that's was good. It doesn't really matter what you say. Um, it's just, all that stuff comes later on. So that's fine. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. Um, so I started by looking at the results in my area, and this is a very small graph, but you should be able to see the general pattern. Uh, at the end here we have the Conservatives. Followed by the Liberal Democrats and then, you know, a smattering of other people. Uh, got 77,000 voters in the uh, constituency. That was quite interesting. And 72% turnout, which is higher than average. So they're quite passionate about uh, uh, about voting Conservative. So that's... Uh, again, that's going to be fun. I, <laughs> I'm in this for the long haul, right? This isn't the only time. So this is the first time and we'll keep going and keep going. This is hopefully going to be something that builds. Um... <laughs> So this is what I'm up against. This means that to get my deposit back, I need to get 2,800 votes, which, who knows? Could be fun. Um, but yeah, that's, so that was the first bit of information. This is all open data. It's all under the OGL, uh, and you can go and find that anywhere. Next thing I went and looked at was the Electoral Commission data as well, who also collect data on what parties spend during their campaigns and what parties rate as well. And so... I looked at the spending, and there's a very similar pattern. Um, the party that spent the most got the most votes. The party that second most got the second most votes, uh, which was quite interesting. There's a few little outliers. UKIP spent a bit more than they didn't get as many votes as they should have done for their uh, for their spend. Um, and the one interesting thing here was that I'd always been confused why I never got a party from the, a leaflet from the Green Party in the last election. I mean, they had a candidate, didn't they want me to know? Uh, no. No, they didn't. They didn't spend anything. A grand total of zero. Uh, they just put the guy up on paper. They got 570 votes, but when I first announced, um, a couple of people said, why are you splitting the Green Party vote? <laughs> I'm, I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so that's quite interesting There's some really interesting data in here Um, It's all broken down in, in terms of how it's spent, when it's spent And I think there's quite an interesting site to be made Around measuring spending against the number of votes gained Around whether people keep their deposits And what the categories are It's quite fun to explore But you do have to sort of be looking around in the spreadsheet So I think there's a nice website there But I'll maybe make it after the election Or after I've had a rest after the election um, the other thing the Electoral Commission collects is donation data. Um, I haven't really got into this yet, uh, but I will be, hopefully, um, sometime soon. Uh, there's almost certain to be some interesting things in there, though of course they don't. you have to declare donations over a certain size and say where they came from, but of course that doesn't get published because it's private information. Um, we'd like to, do our, to publish our donations in public, but we'll have to see how that works with privacy and so on. Um, One of the interesting things about the costs was it actually meant I could go and look at, you know, work out what I need to spend. You know, in order to get, say, a leaflet through every door, I discovered the Royal Mail will send something around for you. You get, as a a parliamentary candidate, you get one free leaflet uh, from the Royal Mail. Not a free leaflet, sorry, a free delivery from the Royal Mail. Um, There are 47,000 households, so if I print 50,000 leaflets, I could get a message to everybody. And that only costs 1500 quid, which leads me to think all those parties that couldn't raise that you know there were plenty of the other small parties the guy who was standing as an independent for instance who spent nowhere near that what was he actually trying to do I'm not entirely sure but that gives me a really good idea of what I actually need to, to spend to participate properly and it seems surprisingly accessible um, it seems disturbingly doable certainly to participate if not to uh, actually win obviously I'm realistic about this it's fine um, the next thing I started looking at was maps and there's some, there's some cool maps um, because I know I live, I live in Horsham but what's, what's the constituency, what does it actually cover uh, I don't really know so the Ordnance Survey um, have a really nice website, they have an election maps website that has all of this information on it, you can go and search for your constituency and, and it shows all of the boundaries for the electoral, uh, electoral areas right down to the ward level and so you can see this is this is Horsham. It's yeah, I didn't know we had this bit. That was that was surprising. Um there's a great big bite out of it. This actually used to be part of this constituency, which is now a really weird shape. Uh yeah. I can't help thinking there should be some more mathematical way of deciding these things. Um but anyway, that's that's where I, that's what I've got to work with. It's quite rural. Uh, we've got a couple of we've got Horsham and then a couple of other large villages, I suppose. Um but mostly quite rural. Um obviously no, I wanted this on my wall, I wanted a map on my wall that I could look at every day and go oh, I saw something, I don't know um, I don't actually do that, that would be weird um, the, um, so I did, so I got a map <laughs> the interesting thing is while the Ordnance Survey will print you a custom map and it's this big and it's lovely you can run your hands across it, you can feel the print where they've digitally printed it, it's beautiful you can feel the topography um, you can't get them to print an electoral boundary on it. So the first thing you have to do with your brand new map is draw it in felt tip. Uh, which took a while because some of the boundaries are really fiddly. In the end I just started going, oh, it's about here. It. So there might be a few people on the edge who aren't technically on my map. But anyway. And this bit's in green because I started using the wrong colour. So I ruined the whole thing at the beginning, really. But it's, it's nice. Um the other thing is, within the constituency there are a load of wards as well, um, and this is a horrible image taken from my blog, sorry about the uh, awful quality, um, these are the different wards within the constituency, the different areas that, have, that each vote separately and sort of represent kind of where people live, and it was, I was thinking, well what I should do is I should go and be in front of everyone, I should get to where they are, I should go and talk to them, be at least out in all the wards at least once. Um, and so I thought, right, what are they? And where shall I go first? And what order shall I do them in? So I thought, ha, let's get some more data. So, again, looking at the OS election maps to find all those things, they, they use the same statistical geography identifiers as all the other government data. So it's linked to those other things. And it means you can go and look at the ONS data for the census. And it's all reported on the same areas, which surprised me that it was actually that easy. And it means that I've got this nice list of all these, uh, all these wards... And they vary massively in size. The, the biggest one, Southwater, is more than three times as big as the smallest, Rudwick. Uh, again, that's quite interesting. Um, but uh, it does tell me kind of where I need to be focusing at which time and so on. I actually had a plan to do to visit all of them in the new year and then to do the biggest ones this year as well. So I'd get to some of them twice. I have been doing that. Getting the word out is quite difficult, so I might now leave it mostly till next year. But next year I will be going to visit in order, just about in order, um, until just near the election I'm hitting the larger ones. Um, And so that was useful. One of the things, the most recent uh, thing that I've done on the data front is party finances. So we've actually started spending some money. We don't exist as an organisation technically yet, but I've started spending money, so we need to track it. And I thought, well... How does how's all this get published? You know, what, what happens there? Um, and I went to uh, talk to Ian McGill, who some of you may know from Spend Network, and said, how do all the parties publish their data? And he went, they don't, really? Or in, in a complete mess. Um, and then I said, so how would you want them to? And he said, well, if I could have my dream, I'd have all these things. I'd have buyers and unique identifiers for them. I'd have suppliers and unique identifiers for them. The different amounts, obviously, but then codes that, uh, so I can merge things together and find out what people are actually buying. Uh, and so we did that. We made this schema, uh, which is designed with Spend network, uh, so that they can pull it into their systems really easily and expose all of our spending through their systems um, in a way that people can understand. So there's a few interesting things in here. I was putting in things that I'd bought, and I needed a URI for me. I was like, hang on, what is what is my URI? What's my unique identifier? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and I wasn't really sure what it was supposed to be, and then I just read around a bit and read about, um, remembered about things like OpenID. And in the end, I just made myself one up, so I created a uh, an identifier for myself at id.floppy.org.uk. That is now me. on my. That's my personal domain. Um, so that was... Uh, an interesting thing but when you get into supplier URIs it's trying to uniquely identify those suppliers so people can see who you're paying really who you're paying it's quite interesting obviously it starts with companies that you're buying things from and this is where Open Corporates comes into its own so they have uh, company information all across the world uh, millions of companies now and they each have a nice unique URI that you can link to that you can reference Um, and so that's absolutely amazing they don't have everything yet because I don't think they have Delaware companies and I think the people we're buying our uh, website service from I think are probably Delaware registered so I couldn't link them yet but it's a good start one of the things I had to buy from was a charity and that got a bit more awkward I went and looked at the charities commission website and they had a search form that was good but it didn't really link to anything that I could link to There wasn't anything I could say, there an identifier for this charity. But then someone pointed me Open Charities, which is trying to do the same kind of thing as Open Corporates for Charities. So there is a page and a URL and the information. So we can actually link to them as well. That's great. Unincorporated associations. I suspect at least one of the things, because I can't work out what they are, who I've actually paid for the rental of a room. I suspect they were just an association. And of course they don't have any identifier or exist in any clear way. Um, so that's more awkward I'm not sure how to deal with that one and one of the most disturbing is parish councils now you'd think this would be easy um, the uh, LGA, the Local Government Association publish standard URIs for different uh, areas of, of government for different councils, things like that they go down to the district level which is great, they don't go down to the parish level um, But I've bought some things from parish councils and I want a URI. Uh, So I asked on Twitter and got the response of, actually, I'm not sure there's even a list. And that's quite disturbing. People always sort of say, you know, we've worked with this huge company and the first thing we had to do was help them make a list of their buildings. And I was thinking, how can that be true? These are the the building blocks, the lowest level of our democracy. They're real things. They have real power. They have real elections going on If we're going to publish election data We're going to need to reference them And we don't even have a list Somebody might need to do something about that We might need to actually Make a list of parish councils And then give them URLs There's probably an open, uh, open councils project Or somewhere, something out there waiting to be done um, So yeah, I've given up on that Because I've got no idea um, Code thing was quite interesting Ian introduced me to this thing called UNSPSC code which is the United Nations Standard Products and Services Code, I think, which is an incredible thing. You can go on the website and search for uh, unspsc.org. You can search for uh, the thing you want to represent, and they've got, like, uh, one thing I found. There was 20 or so different slight preparations of the same type of food, and then there was one big category for Internet Or something. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't quite that bad. But things like finding a a code that's up to date for, you know, buying this uh, software as a service over the internet, it kind of wasn't... You had to be a bit creative with what you manoeuvred it into. So I think these things are a little bit out of date. They're more based around physical products. But we try and and represent things in those. And the other thing is Electoral Commission reporting codes. So the Electoral Commission have an amazing scheme whereby they... uh, Split. You get. You have to report your spending in different categories, and there are six of those, and they are A to F. Nice and descriptive. Um, But essentially, they cover different things like public meetings, travel, uh, accommodation, stuff like that. And so, when we're keeping our accounts, we try and include those codes as well. We can't always do it um, because not everything kind of fits. There wasn't one for post-it notes. Um, But. (laughs) Uh, I put that into the public meetings one because that's why I use them. So, anyway. So we have that stuff in CSV files, standard forms. We've published it, again, through GitHub. We have the CSVs uploaded into a GitHub repository uh, where you have the CSV files themselves and a data package, which is a uh, JSON file that points to the uh, different CSVs and tells you what that schema is, for instance. So it tells you what all the fields mean and where the files are, so you can just look at this one thing and discover everything else. Um, we validate it with one of the tools we created here at the ODI, called lint. It actually checks the CSVs, makes sure they're well formed, makes sure they fit the right schema, um, and so on. So we validate it with that. And it's published through GitHub pages, so GitHub, if you have some files stored in their repositories if they're in a particular format, it will take those files and turn them into web pages um, in a fairly simple way through this, this thing called Jekyll. Um, but it's all it's all published with that, and I'll show you in a second. You can actually have a look at something new.github.io slash finances, and everything's up there. And this is proper open data. I, last night, actually generated an open data certificate for this, which is another thing we've got, we've worked on here at the ODI, which says all of the uh, information about where to get help with it, what the, uh, how often it's released, all that kind of thing. We've achieved the, uh, the lowest level of, uh, of Open Data Certificate. The higher ones are quite hard to get. Um, I'm only two questions off the next one up, which is really frustrating. Uh, I was really hoping to get the next one. Um, so I just need to go back and improve my data and do a privacy impact assessment on myself. I'm not quite sure how to do that. I need to ask my boss about that. Um, so uh, there's that. And so what we end up with at the end is a page like that. And this is all automatically generated. The only, uh, all the stuff is in the CSV files and in that uh, data package. And we turn that into HTML through, the, through Jekyll uh, into a list of files. You can see here we've got the validations and the certificate. And then this description of the schema that uh, means that anybody looking at this data can actually see what it is they're working with any time. So this is kind of trying to be an example of how to... Publish decent data, um, as well as a uh, party finance project, because you know mixing concerns—that's a good thing. Um, and then when you come to actually, there we go. When you come to actually look at the data, here is the data and rendered in the same way. So all this is turned into uh, these HTML pages from that raw CSV. There's no other copy, and if you hit the download button over there, you'll get that original CSV file. Um, so, in a way, we've kind of rolled our own data portal, which is uh, which is pretty cool, but for an individual piece of data. So, we don't need data portals anymore. We can just do it all this way. Um, and so, yeah, you can see there's my map. There's a, there's a code, there's a code, UNSPSC code for maps. Uh, it didn't, yeah, Facebook advertising was, there was one, I suppose. T-shirt printing was a hard one to find. <laughs> anyway Um, that's basically it, that's kind of the data adventures that I've had so far on this there'll be many more Um, but I just want to finish with a sort of a thought about openness in general really I think with um, technical revolutions come social revolutions and you know if you look at agriculture it allowed us to form complex civilizations if you look at the industrial revolution we moved into cities, if you look at the printing press, education Uh, Became a thing that anybody could access and we're at the beginning of this one we're at the beginning of the the revolution that's uh, enabled by the web, by the fact we can all talk to each other we can all work together, we don't have to send a representative on a horse to London anymore we don't have to do it that way and there are ways we can move forward we can move forward into a better future Um, and what I'm trying to do is just a small part of that journey and we'll see how it turns out uh, if you want, oh no, hang on. There's 174 days to the election. There's a Twitter bot called Days to Election. It tweets every morning. Terrifying. Um, yeah, I remember when that said 300. It wasn't that long ago. Um, if you'd like any more information, I'm blogging about it on my own personal site. You can get me on Twitter. Um, that's the party, somethingnew.org.uk, and the manifestos at openpolitics.org.uk. And that's it. Come and join us. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.